Good morning. It's our joy to once again gather together this morning as the body of Christ and sit at the foot of the cross and look to Jesus this morning. So uh, I'm glad to be able to do it with you. My name's Joel Fair. I'm an elder here at Cross Point Coast, and it's uh, our privilege to once again gather in this way. I think at this point, some of us are anxious to be together, and yet we continue to choose to rejoice in this opportunity that we have, even as we long to physically gather together to be the body uh, in one place, and yet we have this gift. And so we rejoice in that. Um, We get to continue this morning in the Word of God and in our sermon series titled, The God We Can Know. And over the last four weeks, we've looked at God. We've looked at His attributes, His characteristics, and we've studied who He is. We've been using the fourth question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism to to define our series. And the question is a simple one. It, It says, what is God? But the answer is so much more complex. The answer that the catechism has derived from Scripture is this. It says, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, His wisdom, His power, His holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And so over the past three weeks, we've looked at these characteristics of God. We've looked at His being and who He is and how He's other than us. He's the Creator. We've looked at His holiness as Jeremiah led us through the holiness of God two weeks ago. And then last week from South Africa, John Minton pointed us to the power of God uh, in His Word. And so this morning, we're going to continue in that and we're going to investigate together and see what it looks like, um, the attribute of God that is the wisdom of God. Maybe you're like me and you have trouble understanding uh, and differentiating what is wisdom and what would be knowledge or understanding. And so we just want to make sure that we define what wisdom is. For instance, God's knowledge, His omniscience, all-knowing, or His foreknowledge, His knowing what is to come, or His understanding, they're all different from wisdom. Wisdom has been defined by Mark Jones in his book, God Is, which is a sweet devotional on the attributes of God. Mark Jones describes it this way. Divine wisdom has in view God's ability, i.e. power, to act for a right end. The end reveals not only his wisdom, but also the means that lead to that end. By his knowledge, God discerns things, and by his wisdom, he acts on such understanding. You see, if God is all-powerful and he's all-knowing, then wisdom is the right application of his power using his knowledge. And God is wise in his working of his power. We know that the chief end of all things is the glory of God. We see it in the, the first question of the catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we know that God is about his own glory and his own praise and worship. And so all of life, the chief end of it, 
The goal of life is to glorify God. And so wisdom is knowing what application of God's attributes, including his power, his justice, his mercy, when they're acted, will achieve the highest end by the best means to bring God the most glory. God's wisdom, as we look in Scripture, is displayed in in three major characters major ways, the three distinct ways. The first one is God's wisdom is displayed in creation. And we've seen it uh, throughout as we've talked about God's power in creation, God's holiness, his, his being separate and other, and then God's being, we saw that he was the creator and we are the creature. And so we've seen this, but we're going to look at it through the lens of wisdom today. God's wisdom in creation. Psalm 104.24 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. You see, God was perfect, and his wisdom was perfect in the act of creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, we saw how God separated the waters from the earth and how God made man in his image. And, and we think about God's work in creation Not simply how he made, but how it continues to work together. How the rain falls and and it falls on the earth and it seeps into the earth and then it's gathered up and it comes back in these springs and the springs lead to rivers and the rivers lead into the ocean where the water is again evaporated and goes into the clouds and then the rain comes again and starts the cycle all over and yet it happens in different ways throughout different parts of the, the earth. And that's just on our planet where we see God's magnificent wisdom in creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, after God made the world, he said it was good. After he finished with the making of man and woman, he said it's very good. Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 reads this way, It is he who made the earth by his power who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. God has established the the world by his wisdom. And not only has he established the world, but he sustains the world by his wisdom. God continues to work in the world through the actions of man to achieve his glory. And so we see God's wisdom in creation, and we see God's wisdom in his providence of maintaining and continuing to work in the world through men's actions. So these are two of the ways that we see the wisdom of God. You see, God's works of providence are his most holy wise and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. God is wise in his providence. We see how he's worked throughout the narrative of life throughout all of the scripture. We begin in Genesis and we look at how God has worked through man's actions and how the story of Abraham God comes to Abraham and Sarah who are too old to have children and he intervenes in their life by his providence so that he can be glorified. 
We see it in the story of Jacob, how God uses Jacob's deceit and lying to establish for himself a people. We see it in the story of Joseph, which is one of the clearest stories of God's providence. Joseph was was a son to Jacob, and he loved Jacob, and Jacob loved him, but his brothers were jealous of him, and they sold him into slavery, which seems awful. It seems wrong and evil because it was, and yet God used that, and he worked it for his good and his glory because we see that not only was Jacob sold into slavery, but after he was sold into slavery, he became a slave in Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife made these advances to him, which in, again are evil. And yet God uses that and gets uh, Joseph thrown into jail. And then in jail, it's realized that Joseph can interpret dreams. And so in jail, he, he gets exalted and brought in. And eventually he becomes the second in command of, of the largest nation in the world at that time the second most powerful man in the world. See, God's using all of this by his providence, for his glory. And so then there becomes a famine in in Jacob's homeland and and his brothers have to come to Egypt to to ask for help. And they're scared because they know that they're coming to Joseph, who they sold into slavery. And yet Joseph has been given wisdom from God. He has seen the providence of God working throughout the whole story. And in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In this uh, unique moment, we see evil. And we wonder and we question, how can God be both good, powerful, and wise? And it's a question that that many of us are asking, and we can bring that question to God. We just cannot demand an answer from God because He is the Creator. He is the one who is wise. We are the creature. And yet the Psalms are full of that question. God, where are you? What are you doing? But it always looks back to the faithfulness of God and reminds himself. The psalmist reminds himself of God's faithfulness and chooses to trust in that to choose to trust in the wisdom of God. And so today we have that same opportunity, and I pray that we take it. I pray that as we look at the third way that God has shown his wisdom, the most powerful way that he's shown his wisdom and his wisdom and salvation, that we would remember that. And as we have these questions about who God is and where he is in the midst of evil, in the midst of a broken world, we would cling to the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. So let's look at that today. We're going to focus our attention on God's wisdom and salvation. If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 18. But the the three ways that God has shown, displayed his wisdom, displayed his perfect power, his almighty power, with his perfect understanding and applied the two together to show his wisdom, our are in creation, in his providence, in the way that he continues to sustain and work through the lives of his people. And thirdly, 
in his work of salvation. So let's read there together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. Follow along as I read. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you that you are powerful. You are all-powerful, omnipotent. We thank you that you are all-knowing, omniscient, that you have these incredible attributes, that you are other than us. You are the creator. God, we thank you that we've seen your wisdom displayed in creation. God, in so many ways, Lord, just thinking about the, the human body and how it all works together. God, and how all these things have to work perfectly and, and you've done that and made it and you've given us life. Lord, I think, uh, thank you for your wisdom and your providence and how you've worked through evil, how you've worked through obedience and disobedience, all of these things, Lord, you work through life to bring yourself glory. God, I thank you for the providence in each of our lives, Lord, as we look back and we see how you've worked your hand through our lives to bring yourself glory. We rejoice in that and we thank you for it. Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear this morning that you would give us eyes to see that by the power of your Holy Spirit working in our hearts, that you would reveal yourself to us in your word. God, as we look to Jesus, may we be in awe. May we say to you, the wise king. God, I just thank you for that. I thank you that you're doing it, that you've already 
begun it in my heart, Lord, and that you're beginning it in the hearts of your people, Lord, and that we would know you, that we would seek you, that we would trust you. Lord, give us the gift of faith this morning, the gift of belief and trust in your word, and that out of that gift, we would rejoice and praise you, worship you, and glorify you. We thank you for this this morning. Trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we begin with the word of the cross in verse 18. And so this first section, 18 through 21, we're, we're looking at the, the word of the cross. When we think about wisdom, uh, true wisdom is not reactionary, it, but, it's, but it's planned and it's thought out. When you think of someone being wise, what comes to your mind? Um, for me, and this is stereotypical and, and it's okay, for me when I think of somebody wise, I think of somebody that's old and slow. Um, not slow as in movement, but slow in to respond. So if I think of myself asking someone with wisdom a question, they'll listen, they'll pause, they'll think it through, and then they'll respond. You see, a wise person, in their experience, they've seen folly, the folly and the hurt of being rash or being quick. They have that experience. That's usually what makes them wise. Having done it wrong, they can now speak wisdom. And so they know that if they're quick to speak, it can do more hurt than good. They know that time spent in preparation to act will save countless hours of repair for acting foolish. That's what a wise person knows. And so even as we think about these attributes of God, and this would be one of those communicable attributes where, where we have some semblance of this attribute being made in the image of God. But like we talked about a couple weeks ago, even that semblance is not a, not a quantitative thing. It's not like we're, we're a little wise and God's more wise. No, God's wisdom is other than ours. It's a qualitative thing. It's something different. And so we trust in his wisdom. So even as you're thinking about the most wise person you know, we have to realize that God is different than that. His wisdom is different than that. God is wise. And so we talked about preparation. And he has prepared and planned for the cross since the beginning of creation. The cross was not a, a plan B. It was not a reaction to our, our messing everything up. It was instead the most powerful and poignant means to God's greatest end, His glory. All of this is what we read, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, God in his omniscience, in his all-knowing, in his foreknowledge, knowing how things would work and play out, he decided to bring about his glory through the sacrifice of his son. And so, he spoke the word of the cross into being. I think of John 
1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. You see, in the beginning, this was God's plan. This plan of God was designed to make the wisdom of the world utter foolishness and folly. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And we can look right now in this moment and we can see the wisdom of the world. We can know that it's foolish. And yet they look at the wisdom of God and they say the same thing, that it's foolish. But not only do we see God's attribute of wisdom in this passage, we also see his compassion and his mercy. Verse 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It pleased God to save. God loves his people, and he, he loved them so much that he paid the ultimate price. The foolishness of what we preach that's it's foolishness, and yet God is pleased to save through it. When, when I think of God's pleasure in saving, it reminds me of John 3:16 through17, "For God so loved the world." that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the gospel, that Jesus has come to save sinners like you and I. A believer this morning, if you're wrestling with this, if you've never heard this, or you've heard it and put it off, saying that there will be another time, I would call you today to repent and believe because it would please God to save sinners like you and I. You need to hear that God saves those who believe in Jesus. Believer, church, this morning, you need to remember that it pleased God to save sinners like you and I through the folly of the cross, and we need to rejoice in our salvation. We need to remember that this morning, and it needs to be our joy. As we move into the next couple of verses, verses 22 through 25, it says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. You see, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and, and he's not ignorant He knows the desires of the culture. They want to know that God is real. The the Jews demand signs and the Greeks are seeking wisdom. They want to know that this is true. 
And yet, they don't hear the wisdom of God in the preaching of the gospel, in the preaching of Christ crucified, because their wisdom is different from God's wisdom. They want signs, and they want the wisdom of how all of this works, but the wisdom they seek is worldly wisdom. Unfortunately, even as we, we, Paul's saying that we preach Christ crucified, often we try to explain God away. We try to make sense of it to, to the unbeliever, thinking that if we could just make them hear and see, they would believe, that they would understand, that they would see the wisdom in what God has done. And yet, we know that that's only done by the power of the Holy Spirit. We did not take these right steps to get to the place where, man, that makes sense, and so I'm going to believe that. No, it's the work of the Holy Spirit changing our hearts to take what was folly and now look at it and see wisdom. And so we can't explain that to the unbeliever. And yet we proclaim it. You know, the, the sad thing is that often that, that explanation that we're trying to do is not even so that they would believe. It's really so that they wouldn't think that we're fools. We're, we're more wrapped up in what people think about us. And so we need to repent of those things. I need to repent of those things where I've tried to make myself not be foolish in their eyes if they would just believe. And yet the reality is that they need to believe, that they need to know Jesus. Who cares what they think of us? The only thing that matters is what they think of Jesus. And so I would encourage you as you're praying and as you're sharing the gospel with people that you would pray for them that by the power of the Holy Spirit working in their hearts, that their heart would be regenerated, that it would be made new, and that their eyes would be opened and they would see the beauty of the gospel. And that we would share boldly, that we would proclaim the excellencies of our God to them. As we look, we see that the preaching of Christ crucified is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Here we see the paradox of the cross. The cross is foolish, and it's a stumbling block, not because we make it that, but because God has made it so. He is the one that orchestrated the redemption of a people for himself, and he's done it by his means in his way. And his way is beyond our human understanding, our human wisdom. His way looks like opposites. You see, only in the cross do we see the power of God and the humility of God, that Christ would humble himself, that he would enter into our world, and yet it is the greatest glory 
the humility and the glory of the cross, the power and the weakness of the cross, that God would be all-powerful, that he could have taken himself off of that cross, which is what the, what the people called for. They wanted a sign that he was who he said he was, and he could have done that, and yet he laid down his life. He became weak. In the folly of the cross, we see both uh, justice and mercy. We see that God showed himself to be just by condemning and pouring his wrath on Jesus instead of us. The great exchange happens at the cross where Jesus took our sin and our shame and he bore the wrath of God in our place. And yet at the cross, he, he gives us his righteousness and it's laid upon us who believe. And so God is just because he punishes sin. And yet he's merciful because he saves the sinner. And those two things, justice and mercy, in our wisdom are opposites and they cannot be in the same place. And yet in God's wisdom, they happen at the same time. You see, the cross is a paradox of opposites. But all of it is true. And it's only, this is the only way that we could conceive it. And we didn't even conceive it. We look at God and we see how he's done it, where all of these things could actually work out. And yet in the moment of the cross, it did not seem like wisdom. It seemed like loss and brokenness and hurt. Imagine the disciples at the cross and how they're grieving their brother who's died, their friend, their teacher, their savior. And somewhere in the back of their minds, there's the promise that he's coming back, that he will rise from the dead. But in that moment, it seems so real. And, and can that just be a balm for us right now? With everything that's going on and we, we question, how can this be good? Can we trust the wisdom of God? I pray that that would be true for us today, that as we look at the cross and we see what Christ has done, that we would rejoice and that reality would be louder than all of the other realities that are going on around us. This morning, our cry is that God would stir in us belief, that he would stir in us trust in his ability to save. And why has God done it this way? Why did God use the cross as his means of redemption? We see it as we can continue. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. See, God in his kindness has used what is foolish, weak, low, nothing, things that are despised in the world. He's used those things. Why? to shame and undo worldly wisdom 
to shame and undo worldly strength, to, to bring it to nothing, so that we would have nothing to cling to except Christ. 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He has stripped us of everything. And that stripping hurts, it's hard, and yet it's the best thing because now we can cling to nothing else except Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, a couple verses later, Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He knows nothing. He preaches nothing. All of it goes back to who Christ is. And not only has he died, but he has risen again. The power of the cross is both in the crucifixion and in the resurrection. And so God has displayed his power using his knowledge and shown us his wisdom. Our wisdom and our power, anything that we have, has been shamed so that we might not boast in anything in the presence of God except Jesus. You see, while we've been stripped of everything, we still have everything. We have everything in Christ. Verse 30, And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Christ, we are redeemed. We who were once far off have been brought near. We who were enemies, rebels against God, have been reconciled to the Father through the work of Jesus. We're being sanctified. Our worldly wisdom is being transformed by our knowledge of God's Word and our the power of His Holy Spirit to where the wisdom of God is infiltrating into our minds and into the way we think, into the way we speak, into the way we process things. We are being sanctified and conformed into the image of God through the power of His Word and by the power of His Holy Spirit. We are declared righteous. We walk in righteousness because of who Jesus is. And as we walk in that righteousness, it proclaims to a dying world the reality of the cross, the reality of what Christ has done. And people not only see, not only hear our proclamation of the gospel, but they see righteousness lived out and they look to a holy God. In Christ, we are redeemed, we are sanctified, we are justified, we are declared righteous. All of this is what we have in Christ. And so we still, we can boast. We can come. Verse 29 says that no human being might boast in the presence of God. But verse 31 says, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, we have all of these things in Christ. The wisdom of God has worked in the gospel to bring about His glory. And so God has called us to proclaim, to step into that and to, to proclaim, to know God and make Him known. To rejoice in the joy of our salvation so that others might see joy 
where there is no joy, that they might see hope where there is no hope, where they might see life where there is no life. I pray that today we would proclaim these things to be true. God is wise, and he's displayed his wisdom most clearly in the gospel work of his son, Jesus Christ. And there's only one who is wise, who rightly applies infinite ability and complete understanding, and God has displayed this wisdom in the folly of the cross. I want to leave you with this verse from Romans this morning. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the folly of the cross that you would work your wisdom, that you would take your absolute power, your perfect knowledge, and you would apply the two by your wisdom to bring about your glory. We thank you for this, Lord. We rejoice in it. We pray that we would believe it to be true. Even as we look around, we see brokenness, we see hurt, we see evil. We pray that we would remember the truth of the gospel. Lord, that we'd see your wisdom in creation. We'd see your wisdom in providence and how you've worked through our lives. And yet, most of all, we would see your wisdom and how you've saved and redeemed a people for yourself to bring you glory. God, we thank you for that this morning. We rejoice in it. We give you praise. We give you glory. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we have the opportunity to remember. To remember the work of Christ. To remember what he's done for us. In 1 Corinthians verse, or chapter 11, Verse 23, each week we remember Christ when we gather together uh, physically, we take communion together. And then this uh, unique way we have not been able to gather together, so we haven't actually taken communion. And yet we remember each week the work of Jesus on the cross, what happened, how he has poured out his blood and his body was broken for us. And so we spiritually remember what Christ has done. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's our desire is to proclaim who Christ is and what he's done on our behalf and on behalf of any, 
any of those who would believe. And so we rejoice in that this morning. We remember his work on the cross. Let's continue to worship him and praise him as we continue uh, the proclamation of who God is in song. Let's sing together.